All right, you may be seated. Uh, welcome. It's good to see you guys this morning. I don't know about you guys. That was really good praise and worship. I think I, I think I needed that this morning. I was honestly, I was feeling like a little bit in a funk. Uh, you know, with those times where it's like you're just like randomly anxious for no reason. I was having a randomly anxious for no reason time, and so uh, that praise and worship helped kind of to shock me out of that. If any of you were feeling that, hopefully it did the same for you. This is our eighth week focusing on the Holy Spirit here at Byfield uh, for our fourth installment of the Cognitive Behavioral Theology Sermon Series. This is something we've been doing the past several summers. I hope this summer of, of sermons has been as impactful for your lives as it has been for mine. I have really enjoyed thinking through my own theology of the Holy Spirit in preparation for these sermons on a weekly basis. But there has been one particular topic associated with the Holy Spirit that I have not been looking forward to addressing. I enjoy preaching sermons that I know will be received enthusiastically here at Byfield. There are certain sermons that I know coming into it that everybody's going to be really excited about. I also enjoy preaching sermons that people disagree with sometimes. Sometimes I know in preparing for a sermon that's really going to rub one of you the wrong way. And I take a little bit of satisfaction in that, not because I enjoy making things unpleasant for you, but because I think there's a biblical truth that, you know, maybe somebody needs to be brought around to. Uh, but the sermons I have the hardest time with are the sermons which I'm not really clear how they are going to be received. And today's sermon is one of those sermons. The topic hit on in today's verses is not one that can really be avoided in any sermon series focused on the Holy Spirit. Today, we are going to be wrestling with what the Bible has to say about the gifts of the Spirit. Now, if you don't, if you don't know what I'm talking about when I say the gifts of the Spirit, that's okay. We're going we're gonna to get to that uh, shortly. But if you would please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11, that's, that's the text we will be using today. Those verses will be projected on the screen behind me. Uh, they can also be found in page 902 if you're using the Pew Bible. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit and there are varieties of service but the same lord and there are varieties of activities but it is the same god who empowers them all and everyone to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good for to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by the one spirit to another the working of miracles to another prophecy to another the ability to distinguish between spirits to another various kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills 
Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. These verses are not the only time gifts of the Spirit are listed in Scripture. I chose to preach on these verses because they include the clearest description of the gifts for which questions arise. The goal today is to come out of our time together with a better knowledge of what these verses mean for Christians today. The gifts of the Holy Spirit have been a hotly debated topic in Christian circles, especially for much of the past hundred years, although I feel like it's slightly less so of late. The disagreement, the debate, is mostly over four of the specific gifts that are listed in this passage. Prophecy, speaking in tongues, discerning spirits, and healing. On one side of this debate are the cessationists. Those who are cessationists argue that these specific gifts of the Spirit are no longer in operation, that these gifts have ceased. They believe that the Holy Spirit could continue to operate through Christians in these ways. He just chooses not to. A variety of famous Christian pastors and theologians over the years have advocated for this position to varying extents. Sinclair Ferguson writes, our conviction is that God purposefully gave some gifts, specifically the ability to work miracles, the gift of revelatory prophecy, and speaking in tongues only for a limited period. John MacArthur's primary concern is that if prophecy is still in operation, that means scripture, the Bible alone, is not enough. And for MacArthur, this is an untenable position. Cessationists recognize the gifts of the Spirit were in operation during the time, especially the New Testament, was being written. They believe the purpose of these gifts was to confirm and validate the Bible. They think that once that confirmation was accomplished, the gifts of the Spirit were no longer necessary. They ceased. In the present, this means that cessationists have serious concerns anytime someone who identifies as a Christian claims to prophesy, speak in tongues, or heal by the power of the Holy Spirit. At a minimum, they think such people are deluding themselves. Some believe claiming the gifts of the Spirit is dangerous to an extent that those who do so can hardly fathom. On the other side of the argument over gifts of the Spirit are those that identify as continuationists. These folks basically believe the opposite of cessationists. They believe that prophecy, healing, and speaking in tongues are all still possibilities for believers as they were when the Bible was written. Nothing has fundamentally changed. The Holy Spirit has not changed, and neither has the way he chooses to operate through people. 
Just as there are famous cessationist pastors and theologians, there are also well-known continuationists. Matt Chandler, pastor of the Village Church in Texas and head of the Acts 29 church planning movement, describes himself as a continuationist. N.T. Wright, the New Testament scholar, has stated that he has personally experienced the gifts of the Spirit. Part of the continuationist conviction is based on how they understand what scripture says. A large part of it is also experiential. Those who believe they have experienced the gifts of the spirit in some measure believe they have first-hand evidence that the gifts are still in operation. Someone with first-hand experience is going to have a hard time being convinced their experience was not real. An issue continuationists have to deal with in the present is determining what is actually from the Holy Spirit and what isn't when a, when a person claims to be prophesying, healing, or speaking in tongues. Pretty much everyone agrees there are people claiming to be exercising the gifts of the Spirit that are actually not legitimate. Dealing with the extreme cases isn't really that hard. It is more challenging to determine what is actually from the Spirit and what isn't in Christian communities that embrace the continued operation of the gifts of the Spirit. So some of you are sitting there thinking, okay, okay, we've got two cases here. So which is it, cessationists or continuationists? That is a matter of personal theological conviction. Both cessationists and continuationist camps have arguments to make from scripture, history, and experience. Now, I personally fall in a more continuationist camp, as Pastor Boylan did before me. I believe the Holy Spirit can and does continue to operate as he did in the past, although I think Christians should exhibit discernment whenever someone claims to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's a really significant claim. I have interacted with believers in both camps that I have a lot of respect for. There are people here at Byfield that are both continuationists and cessationists. It should be clear that an individual's position on the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not a salvation issue. In, in this respect, this, this conversation we're having is kind of similar to baptism. Christians have differing convictions about child or believer's baptism while still being brothers and sisters in Christ. So it is with gifts of the Spirit. Christians can still be in community with others that do not think the exact same way on these matters. Now, to be clear, this doesn't mean that both positions are correct. Cessationists or continuationists, 
isn't a both and proposition. Some are wrong and some are right. Now we need to show a bit of humbleness in this regard because this is what's gonna happen. We're all, we're all gonna get to heaven that are Christians and we're gonna be like, oh man, I was really wrong about that thing that I was super confident about. If, if you think you're gonna get to heaven and God's just gonna be like, man, you really, you really knocked this out of the park. Every aspect of your theology is just perfect. How? How did that happen? Being right about Jesus as our Lord and Savior is what we cannot get wrong. There are other beliefs that are very important, but they are not the basis of our salvation. I imagine in eternity, some could have the satisfaction of saying, you know, I told you so. I told you so. I knew I was right on that one. I think we'll be a little bit too busy enjoying the unimpeded presence of God to care much about wanting to point out to others where they might have fallen short. Wherever one falls on which gifts of the Spirit are active today, it is clear that these gifts must be developed and used responsibly. Too often, the gifts of the Spirit have been used for individual aggrandizement. This happens frequently. When I was growing up, there were multiple scandals involving various miracle worker televangelists. More recently, back in 2019, the televangelist Jesse Duplantis, I'm probably not saying his name correctly, asked his listeners to help with a, with a really, really pressing financial need. His ministry was in desperate need of a brand new private jet. He actually already had three other private jets, but for some reason he needed a fourth. Although I couldn't figure out if he still owned the previous three or not. In his explanation of this, Duplantis argued the jet was a necessary tool for spreading the gospel. He just couldn't fly commercially. While someone who claims to have gifts from the Holy Spirit asking for help purchasing a private jet is an extreme example, the general approach is actually quite common. There are plenty of examples in local churches of individuals claiming certain things for themselves because of gifts of the Holy Spirit. These claims are supposed to be validated by that Holy Spirit presence. Christians should be suspicious of anyone who is personally benefiting from claims the Holy Spirit is at work in them. That's just as true of someone standing up here preaching as it is of someone claiming to have a prophecy. Normally throughout the Bible, when the Holy Spirit is working through an individual, that person is not benefiting in ways that would generally be considered desirable in this world. You see this in the Old Testament with the prophets. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit as well. He certainly didn't end up benefiting selfishly. 
Sometimes the person claiming the Holy Spirit's empowering presence for their own benefit, they're not operating with any sort of intentional maliciousness. They've just confused their own desires with the Holy Spirit's presence. We have probably all been in a situation at one time or another that we convinced ourselves God really wanted us to have something that we didn't end up getting. The Holy Spirit isn't the only spirit in operation. We can and do get confused. I believe some of the abuse and confusion that arises around the gifts of the Holy Spirit is tied to misunderstandings about how the Holy Spirit operates in and with individual people. There are two big variations of this misunderstanding. The first is that a person operating on behalf of the Holy Spirit has control of the Spirit. If someone claims that the Holy Spirit will do what they think needs to be done on demand, they are horrifically wrong. The Holy Spirit is not under any person's control. Most people would not claim outright they control the Spirit. Instead, they just kind of deceptively imply it. As today's verses say, the Holy Spirit apportions to each one individually as He wills. The Spirit is the source of any power and authority that a believer exercises, not the person themselves. The second variation of misunderstanding is that a person who the Spirit is working through has no control of themselves. It is all up to the Spirit. In this way of thinking, the person falls into some sort of trance. The individual is simply a vehicle for the Holy Spirit's purposes. This means nobody can question what a person does when they claim to be under the Spirit's influence. Because in doing so, they are questioning the Holy Spirit. The gifts highlighted in today's verses are described as a person being empowered by one and the same Spirit. Empowered people are not robots. A while back, I was, I was listening to a sermon by Matt Chandler, who I mentioned earlier. He pointed out that the gifts of the Spirit that are listed in Scripture are treated differently in important ways within churches. We recognize the gifts of the Spirit that are considered more normal require development. Whereas the charismatic gifts are often treated as if they don't. Everyone agrees that, that teaching the Bible is, is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And nobody thinks that this gift has ceased. But hardly anyone thinks that individuals that have this gift don't need to work on how they exercise it. Yes, it comes from the Holy Spirit. But the person gifted to teach still has to put in effort to use the gift to the fullest. I've been here at Byfield for five years, and hopefully, hopefully, those of you that have been here that full five years would say, yeah, you've actually improved a little bit 
at preaching. Because I got a lot more reps under my belt, right? And so does that mean that five years ago I had less of the Spirit than I have now? No, not necessarily. There's also a skill aspect to this. There's a development aspect. We can use our gifts poorly, or we can use them well. The same is true of all spiritual gifts. Now, for those that are continuationists, they should be actively engaged in developing the spiritual gifts they believe they and others have. When my kids turn 16, if I just gave them the keys to the car and said, just go, just go figure it out, you'll manage, I'm sure, it would not end well. The same principle should apply when it comes to the Holy Spirit working in and through Christians. Those that have had more experience developing spiritual gifts should come alongside those who don't, whatever the spiritual gift is. This brings us to our final point, the gifting of the Spirit through individuals. It happens for the good of the church. Paul writes in verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The way this is stated may make American Christians a little, a little uncomfortable. It sounds a bit like something Karl Marx might say. In 1875, he wrote, from each according to his abilities, to each according to his needs. Pretty sure there's no big Karl Marx fans here at Byfield. And that's a reasonable position to take considering his philosophy killed about 100 million people between 1917 and 2017. But even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. Marx was not wrong to recognize that abilities create responsibilities. We tend to be suspicious of any statement that implies that we have a responsibility to pursue the common good. Who gets to decide what the common good consists of? What happens if I disagree with that vision? These are real questions in our society. Typically when you hear common good mentioned, that's the debate that follows. In the world, what common good consists of might be debatable. In the church, it is not. The whole of the Bible tells us what the common good the church is supposed to be pursuing consists of. It is not up to individual people or groups of people. The common good of the church is determined by God alone. What rights do I have if I disagree with the common good of the church broadly defined by God in Scripture through Jesus Christ? I have no rights. You don't. Nobody does. We can either participate in God's common good purposes for the church or we cannot. There is no middle road. The fact we get to participate in the common good God is bringing about in his church through the spirit gifting us 
is extraordinary. Being a part of a church, really being a part of a church, not just, not just showing up and sitting here once a week, but being a part of a community, it's a responsibility. It's not for everyone. We're all dependent on one another. There are things that need to happen. I don't know about you, but I don't always want to do those things. Exercising any spiritual gift in the context of community will be a challenge. Selfishly, I sometimes don't want to worry about the common good. I want to focus on myself. I want to use the gifts I have for my own self. Focusing on my own selfish desires is also, it's not a pathway to any of the good promises God has for me. There's no purpose in a life that doesn't entail responsibility. Whatever responsibility we have as individual Christians is a direct result of our privilege, of our gifting. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be a part of God's great disciple-making mission in the world. We get to be a part of the church. We have the opportunity to be involved in God's activities and service. Christians have the privilege of the Holy Spirit gifting them in a variety of ways. Our great desire should be to use whatever ways God has gifted us through the Spirit to build up the church that He has made us a part of. The Holy Spirit gifts us so that we can partake in what God is doing in the world through His church. We must use those gifts well, whatever they might be. Today's sermon, it didn't decide any sort of debate between cessationists and continuationists. While I tried to bring some clarity to those questions, my goal was not really to change anyone's position. If any of you did change their mind, I think we can definitely chalk that up to the Holy Spirit. What should be clear based on today's sermon is what the text makes clear. All the gifts of the Holy Spirit are given for the common good of the church. Christians have the privilege of participating in God's purposes. Responsibility comes with privilege, but that responsibility is not onerous. It is an opportunity. Every Christian has been gifted by the Spirit to serve the church. We should absolutely use the gifts we have. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity to work through this text. I pray that any misunderstanding that I might have contributed to in this, that those that, that feel confused or whatever would, would speak with myself or someone else, that they would seek to clarify, Lord. I also pray that we would take seriously the ways in which you have gifted us. 
each one of us, every Christian, has been gifted for the benefit of the common good to build up your church, to extend your kingdom in this world. And using those gifts, it's a tremendous privilege, but it's also a challenge, Lord. So I pray that we would not run from that challenge, Lord, but we would embrace that privilege. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.